moment of truth. That is a phrase that we hear a lot these days. A moment of truth. Uh, Maybe someone has asked you, have you ever had a moment of truth? Or is this your particular moment of truth? This is being said a lot here uh, recently, especially with the uh, coronavirus and the uh, stress that is putting upon uh, our medical community and our, our entire world, right? This is something that everyone is paying attention to and people are wondering, is this our moment of truth? What is going to happen? And of course, we ask that here in our nation. This is a moment of truth for our nation. Are we going to be able to handle this as more and more cases come about, as more and more people catch uh, coronavirus, are we able to take care of that? Moment of truth also for our elections, right? We have elections coming up in November, and uh, there's a lot of speculation about interference from other nations, particularly uh, Russia, and this is going to be a moment of truth for our election system. And if we uh, think about it in terms of what happened in Iowa with the Iowa caucus, it's a little bit of a scary moment of truth, right? To think what's really going to happen. For Joe Biden, it is a moment of truth. Today is a moment of truth for him. Everyone is uh, wondering if he's going to be able to take his win in South Carolina and expand that out on a more national level to carry the momentum forward and be able to do something more significant on Super Tuesday. So a moment of truth for him. It is a moment of truth for many NCAA basketball teams as they move forward uh, in this. Now we're in the month of March, and as we get into March Madness soon, there will be a moment of truth for a lot of basketball teams. Are they going to make it? Sadly, yesterday, Texas Tech lost in their moment of truth to University of Texas. And um, there are other teams maybe that you've been watching and you recognize this is a moment of truth. In Afghanistan, there is a moment of truth. As a peace uh, was formed uh, yesterday or the day before, and everyone is looking to see, is this really going to happen? And I see Mike McCreary sitting here who's been over to Afghanistan, and there are a lot of other people that have invested a lot in Afghanistan. Our nation has invested a lot in this peace process. Is it going to hold a moment of truth? And we all have moments of truth, don't we? You might have one tomorrow as you go to work or as you go to school, uh, as you go out into the world, a moment of truth. Well, Jesus had a moment of truth, and we've heard about that in our gospel text this morning. It is where we begin always in Lent. We begin with Jesus out in the wilderness in a moment of truth. In fact, Matthew calls it a moment of truth. If you'll look back in your Bible, uh, you will see uh, that it is uh, something that Matthew describes. He says that Jesus was led out into the wilderness for a period of testing, a period of temptation by the devil. He gets real particular here, doesn't he? He says, it's not just a time to go have a vacation or to uh, enjoy the desert. And as you can see in a painting like this one, uh, this wilderness was not a forest wilderness. This was a desert. This was a place that was uh, full of rocks and dirt and heat, very little shade, very little to drink or to eat. 
This was a place where you would experience a true moment of truth. And we find that Jesus went out there. This was right on the heels of His baptism. If you go back and look at uh, when we were looking at this at the beginning of Epiphany, where Jesus goes and gets baptized in the Jordan River. Remember John the Baptist is out there yelling at people. I mean, literally yelling at people. And he says, come and be baptized. And Jesus comes and gets in the water and is baptized. And then we kind of move on from there into Epiphany. But if we were to continue in that flow in Matthew, we would see that Jesus goes right out into the wilderness. He, he steps out of the river. He's still wet. Goes out into the wilderness where Matthew says he is being led by God out into this period of testing. And so as we listen to this story today, we find that uh, it is a significant time in the life of Jesus, but it is also helpful to us because we know we get into these kinds of situations too, that all of us enter into periods of testing. We all have wilderness times that we get into. And our time of testing involves the same things that Jesus' did. It involves temptations, right? How many of you have been tempted already today? There's some honest people here today. It could have been walking by the donuts. It could have been um, speeding on your way to church. It could have been telling a little bit of a white lie this morning. Who knows what it was, but chances are you, you were tempted to do something. But our period of testing also involves our dependence on God. It requires our dependence on God, but it also is one that I think ends in replenishment. So let's look at these in the life of Jesus. Jesus' time of testing involved temptations. There are a lot of paintings that look like this. Get my mic here. Uh, where, where Jesus is out there and He just looks famished, right? He is out in a, a period of time where He is going without food and He is going without water for 40 days. He is pushing His body to the limits. After 40 days, your body starts shutting down. If you've not had anything to drink or anything to eat, you will be hallucinating. You'll have all kinds of health problems. Things really begin to fall apart. Jesus was pushing His body right up to those limits. It was a time of preparation, a time of testing for Him. And as He is out there in the midst of all of this, right at the end of His time, uh, he is faced with temptations. And we had a, uh, a representative from hell here today. You probably heard uh, him. Actually, it was a her. Any guesses as to who that was back there? I thought it was pretty cool. I want to say thank you to our uh, media team back there. Uh, and I'm not going to disclose that it was Debbie. But um, a period of uh, testing was going on back there. Uh, as the temptations were coming. Jesus faced temptations while He was out there. A lot of times we think so much about the divinity of Christ that we forget about the humanity of Christ, right? We forget that Jesus was also tempted, just like we're tempted. And He was dealing with these temptations. It is significant to think about uh, with all three of these temptations. And and. He was not just tempted three times, right? These are just um, three that were pointed out here in the gospel. But we know Jesus, as He went throughout His life, He was tempted 
over and over again. Some say even more significantly than we will ever be tempted, right? As he is uh, moving through this world as God's son, he is encountering all kinds of pressure. But especially during this time, because the idea here is that if the devil can, can get him distracted from moving ahead with his ministry in the world, then he will have accomplished a whole lot. He will have kept him from, from going uh, to Jerusalem, from going and doing the things that God wants him to do as he establishes his kingdom in the world. So he's tempted in three particular ways. All of them have one thing in common. Power. It all comes down to power. Because if he can change his locus of power from God to something that is outside of God, then the devil would have accomplished a great deal. And you'll see all of the craftiness that goes on here with these temptations. The quoting of Scripture. And he says, if you are the Son of God. And I I think sometimes uh, we talk about he's trying to get him to, to wonder if he is the Son of God. But a better translation here is, since you are the Son of God. The devil already knows that he's the Son of God. It's not a a matter of getting him to question that. And Jesus has just heard this from God. Remember in His baptism, as the heavens part, as Jesus comes up out of the water, there are a number of things that go on. The, The Spirit descends on Him like a dove. And this voice is heard. This is My Son, My Beloved. Listen to him. And he says in in another gospel, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. So he has no doubts that he is the son of God. But since you are the son of God, you ought to have some power, Jesus. So turn this bread into, I mean, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. Jesus was so hungry as he looked around, uh, even the rocks looked like loaves of bread. And so there's this temptation. Okay, well, if you really have all this power, take this rock, and since it already looks like a loaf of bread, just turn it into one. You could do it, Jesus. Go ahead and do it. Show that you have some power outside of God. And all of these temptations are tailored to particular things. Jesus is being challenged uh, to show that He has this power. Um, Marquetta Anschutz has said over and over again, in order to live a life that chooses God, a faithful person must face the choice of acting outside of God. There is always this temptation to act outside of God. Think about that in your own life. Maybe some of your greatest temptations or to act in a way that that separates you from the power of God. For you to think that you have the power to do something in your life all by yourself. It is is the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced, as we heard earlier in the Scripture, right? This temptation that comes to them, that, uh, you know, it's kind of the same idea that uh, if you really are a child of God, they already know that they're children of God, right? Right? They, they, already, they have been created by God. And God has given them this freedom to live in the Garden of Eden. And so the temptation comes to them uh, to challenge God's power and to say, well, if you'll just take this fruit, you could have power. And they choose to do that, don't they? 
They choose to act outside of God, to act on their own, to go out and to be independent of God. And that's where our temptations come as well. When we go through a time of testing, we will find that we are tempted to stray away from God and do things all by ourselves. I don't need God. Uh, A lot of times people who are dealing with addictions face this as well, right? You get to the point where you start feeling pretty good. Maybe you've you've been a few days without uh, alcohol or or without a a drug, and you start thinking, I'm going to do it. I've got this. I I don't need to go to AA anymore. I don't need to go and get help anymore. I'm a whole lot better, and I can do this all by myself. But what happens when that goes on? Typically, you fall right flat on your face. It's usually a matter of days or sometimes you go a few weeks, but you can't make it without your higher power, right? You can't make it without God. The same thing is true on a diet, right? You you start thinking, I'm doing a lot better. I've lost some pounds and and I, I really don't need to be on that diet anymore. I don't need to eat right anymore. And then the next thing you know, you're gorging on, um, you know, uh, Five large pizzas or whatever it is that happens. And I say that as a point of confession. Whatever it is that happens to, uh, to cross your path. Temptations to move outside of God. What we can know, just like with Jesus and His, his temptations, uh, that our temptations are tailored to where we are, right? To where we are in life and to where we're going. They always seem to come at where we are going to try to divert us from getting where we need to be and from where God wants us to be. Look back at your life and see where you have fallen the most and see where your vulnerabilities are. Jesus had vulnerabilities and so do you and so do I. And our temptations come along those particular lines of vulnerability in our lives. Our temptations always involve shortcuts and compromises You make little bitty compromises. Really, that's how it starts, right? Well, I can do it just this one time. Just this once, it's really not going to affect me or it's not going to affect anybody else. In fact, no one will know that I've turned this rock into a loaf of bread. No one's going to know about it. I'm out here all by myself. No one sees me. No one knows. But what happens when you do that? That little bitty compromise turns into another compromise. It turns into a larger compromise and all of a sudden it's way out of control. And our temptations have a way of doing that to us. But we could also know that our temptations are are not sins in and of themselves. The temptation is not the sin, right? The temptation leads us into sin. And so these are inevitable. And since they're inevitable, we need to know what to do with them. And that leads us to the second thing that Jesus recognized in his period of testing. And that is that our time of testing requires our dependence on God's power. Jesus was dependent on God's power. If you'll notice that he, he quotes from Scripture. He knows the Scripture. He is, is very familiar with it. It is something that he has recited in his, in his mind and in his heart over and over again. And so when the temptation comes to him... Uh, he's able to recite Scripture back. In fact, as it is misquoted to him, he quotes it back correctly. What does he say? It is written. This is the right way it is written. This is what God has said. So he is fully dependent on it. 
He says, well, yeah, I'm real hungry right now. And that does look like a loaf of bread. And and maybe I could turn that into a loaf of bread. But I, I don't live just by bread alone. What's most important is God and my dependence upon God. God will give me the bread that I need. Remember when we prayed that earlier this morning in the service? This bread, this daily bread. And we look to God to give us what we need. He was fully dependent upon God for what God was going to give him in life. He also understood his relationship with God. He was dependent upon that as well. And he was dependent upon his identity. He could reflect back, even in the midst of his difficulties, he could could think, well, but I just heard, I just heard from God. When I was in the river, I just heard God say, I am well pleased with you. And that had to get him through all of those dark and dreary days as he is out there in the midst, as he is famished, as he's dealing with the tempter, as he's dealing with all of the things that are going on around him. I am sure that he reflected on his identity when he was there with the cross as well. As he begins to think, you know, I'd really love for this cup to pass from me. I'd really love to not have to go forward and and to deal with a cross, to be crucified. And yet I know that God is with me. I know that I belong to God and God loves me. Well, we need to understand what it looks like to be dependent on God as well. D.L. Moody said, my friends, you are no match for Satan. And when he wants to fight you, you just run to your elder brother who is more than a match for all the devils in hell. Isn't that true? You are no match for Satan, but your elder brother, Jesus, is a match. And Jesus is the one that you need to go to. And we need to recognize where we put our dependence as well. We need to recognize that we need God's help in the midst of our times of trial and temptations. And that involves us being rooted in Scripture as well. Part of our 40 days of Lent uh, is, is getting us into Scripture. On Wednesday nights, we're gathering from 5.30 to 6.30 to ruminate on Scripture. Uh, We have some devotional books that we're using. And as we come together, there's going to be a point of discussion where we talk about what God has said to us in in that week uh, from God's Word. What is it that we're hearing? What is it that we're feeling? What is it that we're changing as a result of allowing God's words to affect our lives and being rooted in Scripture? But it's also about our relationship with God. In these next 40 days, we're invited to, uh, to grow in our relationship with God. Part of dependence requires relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? And what does that relationship look like? Is it one that you have put off for a long time? You've just said... Yeah, I believe that there's a God. I believe God exists out there somewhere. Is that kind of where you are with God? Or are you saying, I know God exists out there and I'm going to do whatever I can to connect with God. I'm going to use all the resources and all of the the things that are around me to help me get connected to God because I want to be closer to God. I want to know God. 
And I want God to uh, help me to know the things that I need to know as I go through this world. And it is about identity. Just like Jesus, was when He was baptized and He heard God's affirmation of Him, that is something that happens when we're baptized as well. First of all, have you been baptized? But if you have, are you hearing that affirmation that God has for your life? This is my child. You are my child, God says. Know who you are. Know whose you are. Know that you belong to me as you go out there in this time of testing, that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you. And that leads us to the last thing that Jesus experienced as he went into this time of testing. Look at verse 11. It says that the angels, as soon as as he was at the end of this time of testing, when the temptations were coming and all that was going on, that the angels came and cared for Jesus. They replenished Jesus as he was there. And the devil left. It was this time when Jesus could have a break. A time when Jesus could be replenished. And we could know that we have a time of replenishment as well. That, that we can make it through our period of testing if we know that at the end that God is going to, to send people to help us and God's going to restore us and help us during the struggles that we face. Remember that God will help you. Uh, if you've ever been involved in, in some kind of exercise, whether it's running a race or uh, having to do something that really tapped your energy and, and just caused you to, to breathe hard and you wondered if you were ever going to make it. You could know that uh, it always helps in knowing that there's going to be a point when you get a break, right? You could endure almost anything if you know that not too long from now you're going to get a break. And I believe that's what Jesus kept in His mind knowing that God was going to refresh him and give him a break. There was some news that broke this past week um, about... Uh, I missed a lot of good pictures up here. Let's just look at these. From, um, this particular couple was the couple that was found out in the desert. This is a Palo Alto uh, couple that went out um, on uh, February 14th for a Valentine's trip, and they hiked out into, uh, into the desert. And as they went out there, they got disoriented and uh, really got lost as they were out there. And this particular article uh, this past week talked about how they were found out there. It says, in an outcome that's being called a miracle, search and rescue volunteers navigating their way through dense vegetation uh, found this couple, uh, Carol Kaparski and Ian Irwin, about three to four miles away from their vacation cottage in Marin County from which they had gone missing eight days earlier. The couple who were conscious, cold, and without food or water were dressed in light evening attire and without jackets. Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Brenton Schneider of the Marin County Sheriff's Office said at a press conference um, that this is a miracle. Uh, he said this while standing in front of a phalanx, a phalanx of happy search and rescue volunteers who with personnel from law enforcement, fire, and state park agencies looked for seven days for the couple. The sheriff's office was first notified of the discovery around 10, 10 a.m. when the volunteers reported uh, Kaparski, 77 years old, and Irwin, 72 years old, were alive and well 
in a densely overgrown area near Inverness. The team of volunteers helping the sheriff's office in search were canvassing a previously unsearched area of the creek drainage that uh, led to where they were. We looked at each other and were like, that's them. We rushed over to them. Webster immediately took off all his gear and provided the couple with warmth and water so they could have enough energy for the helicopter ride away from the scene. Webster recalled how grateful the couple were. Thank God you found us. We're so happy. And one of them said that as soon as they saw the team coming, uh, that Mr. Kaparski began singing. He was so grateful and so thankful. He says, Kaparski attempted to find help and tied her scarf around branches to trace her way back to Irwin, but she was unable to make it out due to the thick vegetation. She was found with no shoes on, Schneider said. They thought that this was the end for them. Kaparski and Irwin survived the past week by drinking water from a nearby puddle. According to Schneider, they were suffering from mild hypothermia. One of the things that was noted here with this uh, uh, search is it says they went out on Valentine's Day to look at the sunset and it got dark. They took a wrong turn and they found themselves in trouble and they kept going. He said the two were just on the other side of a road but blocked by this thicket. My dad told me he was having dreams about a water hose. Kind of reminded me about a loaf of bread. He was having dreams about a water hose as he would look over at the pipes around him. After his parents experienced what seemed like the beginning of an end for them, they went to do one thing, he said. They wanted to do one thing, to eat. The two stepbrothers were also overwhelmed with gratitude for all the agencies and friends that offered their support. They said thank you to everyone, everyone who was thinking about them, who was searching for them, who was reaching out to them, uh, and, and their whole family that came out to look for them. They're going to be parties in Palo Alto. I can tell you that, he said. This town is going to light up when they roll in. And there was this huge celebration for them, not only from the people who went out searching for them, but when they finally made it back home, that they had been found. And they were able to find replenishment. One of the things that we're guaranteed is that God sends helpers to us when we are out there in our time of testing. When we are out there all by ourselves, or at least it feels like we're all by ourselves, that God sends angels to come and to help us. So if you find yourself in a time of testing, in a time of temptation, a time of difficulty in your life, know that God will send someone to help you. I want to close with this quote. It comes from George Williamson. It says, Easter is coming. The piercing light in the vision that we've been given. This is why we're on this pilgrimage. It's because our eyes are fixed on Easter. That we're always stubbing toes and cutting feet. But it's stubbed toes and cut feet through which Easter is rising in us. As we go through this time of Lent, we recognize that there is an end to it. There is a break that's coming, and it is Easter. Let us continue on our journey together as we move toward Easter. Let us pray.